welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Well, hello there, and welcome to this Monday edition of the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where I'm always happy and excited to share my thinking with you that you should avoid the downs and savor the ups. That's right, my friends, not just in the law. Of course, we want to avoid the law's entanglements if we can, but everyday life, everything you do, isn't it a wonderful concept? to enjoy life and get rid of that baggage, that negative energy? Of course it is. And that is my wish for you. And thank you for giving me your ear. Before I get to this Marital Mondays edition of the Legal Merry-Go-Round, which is going to be about divorce tips that are financial in nature, I want to just give a shout out to my sponsor, the Legal Writing Launch Class. This is a wonderful, wonderful class taught by Professor Bev Myers at a college a law school out in California. This woman is not just some professor. She, she actually used to work for the California Attorney General's Office, a pretty heady position, if I do say so myself. Uh, Bev, you've got a great resume. Bev's class uh, teaches not just lawyers, not just law students taking the bar. Ooh, you need this class for that, don't you? But it, it's a good class for anybody who wants to be able to think and write clearly and concisely. You know, what do they say about lawyers? Their trade is just simply where words, and if the words don't make sense, they, they're up the creek without a paddle, as the expression goes. Well, taking Bev's class, and there's three of them actually at different levels, uh, you'll really enjoy because you you get an understanding of clarity and thought, and then you can put pen to paper and do real well. Now, when you go to her website, legalwritinglaunch.com, make sure when you sign up in the discount code area, you put the legal merry-go-round and you'll get 10% off. You can get a hold of Bev at her website through her email, bev at legalwritinglaunch.com. Thank you, Bev. You're doing a good service. So as promised today, the 10 uh, financial mistakes to avoid during divorce, and because I love you, I might give you one or two extra, but I found an article and I'm going to summarize it with the uh, information here about financial stuff that you should understand if you're going through a divorce. It's a terrible time, obviously. It's an upsetting time. The one you loved isn't the one you're going to spend eternity with. Hopefully, you're going to remain friendly. And hopefully, everybody's coming out of this you know, with a, a reasonable financial resolution. But you know what? I'm going to share with you. I found some statistics. It isn't always fair for the wife now, is it? Women uh, initiate divorce, in, in, interestingly enough, uh, one and a half times more than men. But this statistic doesn't always indicate their full preparedness for the financial reality of the separation. Uh, the truth is that an average woman can expect almost 30% decline in her standard of living 
uh, following a divorce, while men often see an increase in 10%. Well, that sucks. That's not right. It should be that they both follow out of that divorce pretty much in the same way as they went into it uh, or that they enjoy during their, their life together. I want to share uh, some things uh, in the first half here, financial tips, if you will, and then I'm going to come back and, and give you a few more that uh, I, I would strongly recommend if you are in the process of divorce that you listen up because you're going to hear some things here that you may not have thought about. You can listen to this uh, recording over and over again just by going to my website, thelegalmerrygoround.com. You can even download a transcript of this. So if you want to take notes, that's great. Uh, if you want to just uh, download the transcript, the, these uh, thoughts will all be there for you. Number one, ignoring or underestimating your expenses. This is a real important thing, folks. Most people know exactly what they earn uh, every month, but they necessarily can't explain where their money goes. Is that you? It's like, hmm, I made all this money. Where is it? Ugh, goodness. Take the time to write down all of your expenses and develop a realistic monthly budget. Likewise, consider the cost of your future living expenses, taking inflation into account. That's very important. If you ignore inflation, you might underestimate your future needs and find that you're not able to maintain your quality of life. Don't want that to happen. Number one, don't ignore or underestimate your expenses. Number two, believing that the parent with more custodial time should keep the family home. Not always the right or the possible course. It's often a very emotional decision whether to keep the family home, obviously, especially when children are involved. While it would be nice to remain where you're comfortable and avoid the hassles of moving, staying put might not be the best financial decision. No matter how attached you are to your home, it's critical to have a realistic sense of whether you can afford it. If you give up everything else in order to keep the house, that might not be the best decision, and you might find that you can't cover the mortgage, the property taxes, and maintenance. You could end up in serious financial doo-doo. All right, number two, don't necessarily believe that staying in the house is the best decision for you in a financial way. Number three, assuming that an equal division is a fair division of property. Not always so, Fred. You must understand, be sure you understand, that an asset's value is not necessarily defined by or limited to its current market value. Okay, an example, assets that generate income like rental property or bonds may be worth more than their market value. Agreeing that each spouse will receive property of equal monetary value on its face now doesn't always mean each spouse will receive a truly equal share of the assets over time. Make sure you're comparing apples to apples when you trade assets in a divorce negotiation and pay attention to tax basis, present value, and transaction costs. And you're saying, what? Okay, well, I'm going to repeat that. But again, you can go back and find these, and you make sure you ask your attorney and your financial planner about these three very important things, tax basis, present value, and transaction costs. You have to include these if you're going to make an intelligent decision when you split up 
and get the financial houses in order. Number four, deciding financial issues one at a time. Big no-no. This must be a global understanding. By looking at each asset or source of income separately, you're going to miss the interaction of taxes, potential capital gains, investment losses, timing issues, inflation, and more. Woo! So a fair settlement begins by looking at a comprehensive picture of all of your finances. Once you've done that, you'll be better able to understand how each financial decision you make can affect other decisions and determine how and when to divide assets. Deciding financial issues, number four, one at a time, no, no, no. Number five, failing to secure spousal support, alimony, and child support payments with insurance. Get the insurance. Okay, what am I talking about? Your ability to collect alimony and child support is only as good as your spouse's ability to pay. You can request that your spouse obtain disability and life insurance policies or modify existing policies to ensure that these payments will continue in the event your spouse becomes disabled or dies. Be sure to review the policies to make sure your spouse has made the proper designations. Now understand that these policies are not going to help you in the event your spouse voluntarily decides to stop paying. To enforce your rights in that situation, you're going to need to go back to court and ask for an order that your spouse make the appropriate payments. But again, the expression, you can't get blood out of a rock. But in the event of disability or death, go and get the insurance lined up properly. Number six, not understanding your liability for unsecured debt. What does that mean, unsecured debt? Credit cards, folks. For most people, unsecured debt means consumer credit cards that was incurred during the marriage. It's a shared responsibility, no matter which spouse used the credit card. When you share responsibility for those debts, you're both responsible, and it doesn't matter what your settlement agreement says. So, all right, well, I'll take the Visa and you take the MasterCard. Doesn't work that way. If I take the Visa and don't make the payments, Visa's coming after you. The best practice is to pay off all the debts, refinance them if it's necessary, and a husband takes one and wife takes the other, or husband and husband or wife and wife, whatever the situation. But don't go into a divorce with your name on something, relying on the other to pay it. You can end up up the creek, as they say. All right, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to come back and give you some more very, very important tips which you need to know in the event that you and Honey Bunny are uh, splitting up. Don't go away. Mommy, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. When Trina Thompson of New York was unable to find a suitable job following her graduation from Monroe College, she files a $72,000 lawsuit. Thompson, who graduated with a 2.7 GPA, claimed the college's career services department 
didn't provide sufficient help with her job search and gave preferential treatment to students with excellent grades. She sought to recover $70,000 she had spent on tuition for her bachelor's degree in information technology, plus an extra $2,000 for the stress caused during her three-month job search. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. Verdict, zero. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. Thank you for continuing to listen to this very important discussion about financial stuff if and when you and Honey decide that it just isn't working. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are real important to listen to today. That's why I'm going to remind you that you can listen to this again and again, or you can even download the transcript, either or both, from my website, thelegalmerrygoround.com. So I want to continue and give you some ideas as to the things that you might need to be thinking about in the event that you, you know, uh, going down that road to divorce, make sure you get a good attorney. Make sure you have a good financial planner at your side to help guide you because uh, today is one thing and tomorrow might be another. The world doesn't always uh, look like uh, what we want it to a year or two or three from now. And the decisions you make financially can have a very, very large effect on what that world is going to look like. So I gave you six ideas before the break. Number seven here to start off the second half of this show Do not evaluate a defined benefit pension plan improperly. A defined benefit pension plan. Okay, well, if you don't know what that is, that's okay. But again, you should be talking to your attorney to find out if that's something that you should be putting into the hopper to discuss. A defined benefit plan is a true pension plan. It's funded and controlled by the employer, and it pays a monthly income at retirement. Okay, well, you say you're nowhere nowhere near retirement. So what? Big mistake. 
consider what's going to go on at retirement. Now, this is a this is different from what is called a contribution plan, like a 401k. Even though the employer has to wait until retirement to pay benefits for this defined benefit plan, the defined benefit plan has value today. And the non-employee spouse is entitled to a share of that. In this type of case, you need to hire an actuary, a specially trained financial expert to calculate the present value of defined benefit plans that you may have involved here because your spouse through his or her employer has such a benefit. Number eight, overlooking a qualified domestic relations order. Man, Paul, what are you talking about? All these things, I've never heard of this. Well, okay, again, your attorney knows what I'm talking about, and so does your financial planner. Make sure you ask. A qualified domestic relations order is a legal document that reflects how you and your spouse have have, uh, decided to divide up a defined contribution plan like a 401k uh, or a pension plan. A qualified domestic relations order also orders the plan administrator to pay the non-employee spouse his or her agreed upon or court-ordered share. The plan administrator cannot make such payments without that order in place. Even if you're dealing with a pension that may not be payable for several years, it's crucial that you get that order in place as part of your divorce, or you may lose very important pension rights. Number nine, having unrealistic expectations about investment returns. If your spouse is trying to convince you to settle for a certain investment because it's growing, uh, it's going to grow at 30% per year. um, Well, okay. I'd like to know what that is too, please. You might want to get a professional opinion. That investment might not grow at all, or it may yield negative results. Liquid assets, cash or assets that can be easily converted into cash, may provide more financial security than investments, many of which may be risky. So think twice before accepting investments instead of safer, less risky assets. Number 10, failing to consider your long-term financial security. Big mistake, Fred. Big mistake, Sally. If you focus only on the immediate task of splitting assets and getting alimony and child support without understanding how things might look in 10 or 20 years, you're doing yourself a great disservice. You may want to hire again a financial planner to review any proposed settlement agreement before you sign it and advise you about the long-term financial consequences. And I can't stress enough the concept of before you sign it. I can't tell you how many times in my career as an attorney, I've had people come in and sit down and say, hey, Paul, um, I signed this agreement. What do you think? And my response is, well, you signed it. What difference does it make what I think? So again, this is advice. You know, hope you take it. Now, I said I was going to give you a couple of bonuses. I have these. 
I told you at the top of the show 10, but here's number 11. Um, Tax losses have value. Tax losses have value. And they should be considered in settlement purposes. A divorce client for a lawyer friend of mine who was in the 35% tax bracket, uh, he was sharing with me, and so was the spouse. Uh, on their tax returns, they had $230,000 in tax loss carry forwards. Now, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, kind of the real simple explanation is if you lose money in year one, and as a result of this, uh, the tax benefit to you. Uh, could be bigger, uh, you can carry some of that loss into the next year and claim it so your taxes in the next year aren't as uh, as steep as they might otherwise be. That's called carry for it, carry forward. So my friend's lawyer uh, said that um, uh, they had not noticed the tax loss or didn't realize it could be carried forward and could be used in the future to offset gains. So in this case, the husband was probably hoping that no one would even notice this, and he would have been able to keep and use the entire amount over time. In the client settlement negotiations, uh, they could determine if the loss carry forward would be split or awarded to one spouse. If the loss came from investments that were owned in a joint name, then either spouse could take the loss or it could be split up in any fashion. However, if the losses were incurred by investments in a single name, the carry forward must remain with the individual who incurred the loss. If this was the case, they could negotiate to offset this with another asset. Can so you kind of follow what I'm saying there? If you have tax losses, you can decide what and who and how and when. And finally, last but not least, I talked about this in one of the first, uh, in, in the first half of the show, but I want to repeat it in a little bit of a different way because it's so important. This is what I'm going to call refinancing a loan. Um, in a divorce, the separation agreement will often itemize which party is assuming responsibility for which debt. I talked about credit cards, right? Generally speaking, creditors don't care what the separation or divorce agreement calls for. If your name is on a loan, you will be responsible for paying for it if your partner defaults. Uh, a woman, as an example, might co-sign a student loan for her daughter and a car loan for her son during the marriage. If the divorce agreement uh, says that the husband will agree to be responsible for the payment of one, uh, then that's fine, meaning you're responsible for the other. But if the husband doesn't make the payments, uh, you could end up being responsible as well. Um, imagine the husband losing a job and the wife decides that she wants to stop renting and buy a condo. Well, in that kind of a situation, then she's going to come up uh, learning that both loans counted against her uh, in terms of her debt to credit ratio when applying for a mortgage. Worse, uh, when the husband stops making the payments, the credits, creditors are going to come after her. So when one party assumes the payment of a debt, every effort should be made to refinance the loan solely in their name. Otherwise, the other party remains liable, regardless of what the separation agreement might say. If refinancing is impossible, consider setting aside a sum of money that will be released and divided upon satisfaction of the debt. Okie dokie. Well, you know, divorce, not a fun thing, very upsetting emotionally. 
but it doesn't have to be catastrophic financially. And if you listen to some of these ideas, these are a lot more than just, okay, how much money do we have? Divide it in half. Here's the child support. Here's the alimony. Those are the things that everybody just looks at and assumes that that's okay. There's a lot more, folks. I can't stress enough the importance of looking at all these things. Talk to your attorney. Talk to your financial planner. Goodness gracious, there might even be more that I haven't listed here. Anyway, I hope that you do have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon and you come back and you listen to me again on Wednesday, the Wrongdoer Wednesday edition of the Legal Merry-Go-Round. Thank you again for your ear. And by the way, if you want to find and review for me on Apple, that would be so appreciated. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. Thank you.